So what I'd like to talk about tonight are the five qualities leading to spiritual maturity. They're found in the Magiya Sutta, which appears both in the Udana, the inspired utterances, and in the Anguttara Nikaya, the numerical discourses. One of the things that I like about the sutta is that it's got a good story that gives us a little more of the context for the teaching. Unfortunately, I'm not going to give you all the story. At the time of this story, a bhikkhu by the name of Magiya was serving as the Buddha's attendant. Uh, Ananda was the Buddha's attendant for the last half of his teaching career. So this means Magiya was uh, working, serving the Buddha um, in the first half, sometime before the Buddha was 60 years old. So it kind of gives us a, a sense of, you know, these real people involved in these events. So after receiving the Buddha's permission, Magiya went into a nearby city to collect his alms for the day, uh, his food. After he collected his alms, as he was walking back to the monastery, he uh, came upon, according to the sutta, a lovely and delightful mango grove. Then the thought arose that this would be a good place for him to meditate for the day. So he went back and reported this to the Buddha. And after some uh, lengthy negotiations, uh, the Buddha told Magie he could go off and meditate in the mango grove. So he did, and he began to meditate. But then the sutta tells us three kinds of bad, unwholesome thoughts frequently occurred to him. Sensual thoughts, thoughts of ill will, and thoughts of harming. As he reflected on this, the thought arose. This is truly astounding and amazing. I think that's not the usual response that most of us would have <laughs> to finding thoughts of sensual desire and ill will and harming. But Megillo was surprised that these unskillful thoughts were arising with such force and such frequency. He had left the lay life and committed to being a bhikkhu because he really wanted to achieve full awakening. And then he had found what seemed like the perfect spot to meditate. And lo and behold, here he was, stuck with these thoughts of sensuality, ill will, and harming.
So apparently he wasn't embarrassed about this or ashamed about this. At least the sutta doesn't say so. Instead, he went back and reported this to the Buddha and asked for his advice. The Buddha responded, Magiya, when liberation of mind has not matured, five things lead to its maturation. What five? So the Buddha is about to tell us. I'm going to go through these one by one and do a little bit of commentary on each one as we go along. One of the things that's interesting, though, it may have already occurred to you, is it sounds like uh, the Buddha doesn't seem to be getting ready to give Magiya the teaching on the removal of distracting thoughts, which Shaila presented to us this morning. It seems like it would be an appropriate teaching, but apparently the Buddha felt like there was something uh, more essential for Magiya to hear. So first the Buddha said, Here, Magiya, one has good friends, good companions, good comrades. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the first thing that leads to its maturation. Of all of the things that the Buddha could have mentioned, developing generosity, working on virtue, removing distracting thoughts, the first thing that he mentions is having good friends, good companions on the path. The words in the Pali language that we translate as good friend or spiritual friend are Kalyana Mita. In the Theravada Buddhist tradition, a Kalyana Mita refers to several kinds of companions on the path. Our teachers are regarded as good friends, not necessarily a social friend, but a good friend in the Dhamma. In this tradition, a teacher isn't a guru. The teacher-student relationship isn't like a parent to a child. In some ways, it's a little closer to a peer relationship. The teacher is simply someone who's more spiritually mature than we are and who has the ability to inspire and instruct us about the path of practice. So someone may be our teacher for a while, but then at some point we may find that we need something different and we may turn to someone else as our teacher. And that's just the way things work in this tradition. A good friend can also be someone we know who's on this path of practice just as we are. This could be someone who isn't a teacher, but is still more advanced than we are. 
Or it could be someone who's at an equal level of spiritual development as we are, truly a companion on the path. And just as others can be a spiritual friend to us, we can be a spiritual friend to them. I was on retreat earlier this summer, and I found that being surrounded by people who were equally committed to the practice was a great support. If my inspiration or my energy began to flag, really all I had to do was look out a window, look down a hallway, look around the dining room or the meditation hall and see people who were diligently engaged in the practice. It was an inspiration It was an encouragement. There was the thought, if they can do it, I can do it. And get back on the cushion. During the group interviews, I heard similar comments to this from a number of you. Just being in this room practicing together was a support for everybody else who was here. The Buddha emphasized the importance of spiritual friendship a number of times in the suttas. In one collection, the Itivuttaka, he says, in regard to external factors, I do not perceive another factor so helpful as good friendship for one who is a learner, who has not attained perfection, but lives aspiring for the supreme security from bondage. In the Sangyutta Nikaya, the Buddha commented, this is the forerunner and precursor of the rising of the sun, that is, the dawn. So too, for a bhikkhu, this is the forerunner and precursor for the arising of the noble eightfold path, that is, good friendship. And then there's the story that you may have heard where the venerable Ananda approached the Blessed One, the Buddha, and said to him, Venerable Sir, this is half of the holy life. That is, good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. And the Buddha responded, Not so, Ananda. Not so, Ananda. This is the entire holy life, Ananda. That is good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. When one has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade, 
it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path. Our spiritual friends are important not only because they inspire and guide us, but also because we can trust them to have our backs. If we misunderstand a teaching or a practice, if we get caught in delusion, greed, or hatred, and they notice it, we can trust, if they're a good friend, that they will let us know. It often isn't pleasant to have our errors pointed out, but it is essential to have friends who will do this for us. And it's important that we listen to what they have to say and consider it. We certainly find this happening again and again in the suttas. So the second thing that the Buddha mentioned to Magia was, again, one is virtuous. She dwells restrained by the patimoka. This is the rules of conduct, conduct for monastics. Possessed of good conduct and resort, seeing danger in minute faults, having undertaken the training rules, she trains in them. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the second thing that leads to its maturation. So the Buddha is talking about cultivating virtue. For lay people, like us, this usually involves working with the practice of generosity and with the training rules that we call the five precepts. When we meet periodically with other people who are committed to living with and from the five precepts, these friends can show us through their actions how this is possible, how to live in this way. And we can do this for others as well. We can observe how our friend's integrity allows us to feel more trust in them. We can observe how harmony is created when people live by the precepts. Not in a rigid, rule-bound, and judgmental kind of way, but in a wholehearted kind of way. We take the precepts on and use them to investigate our lives, looking to see where greed, hatred, and delusion are still active and to see the harm and suffering that come because of them. When we have difficulty working with these trainings, we can talk with our good friends about this. 
we can learn from them skillful ways of handling our difficulties. When we fail to live up to one of the precepts, at least in our own perception, we can tell a spiritual friend who understands that this is part of the path. He or she supports our own honesty and integrity and helps us to make the effort once again. Just associating with people who are engaged with these virtuous trainings can be an encouragement and a support. Now, most of us who come to this practice through meditation, which is probably most of us, it seems, nowadays, we probably begin with good enough ethical behavior. Good enough to get us started. Good enough for us to begin settling down our bodies and mind a bit. Good enough to begin looking at our minds and opening our hearts. But eventually we reach a point where we want to go further in the practice, where we need more mindfulness and more concentration. The Buddha said that virtue is one of the forerunners for the development of mindfulness. So when good friends support us in the training with precepts, they're helping us lay the foundation for developing more mindfulness, which will help us come to see even more deeply the way things are. Next, the Buddha told Magia, with good spiritual friends, one gets to hear at will, without trouble or difficulty, talk concerned with a life that is conducive to opening the heart. That is, talk on fewness of desires, on contentment, on solitude, on not getting bound up with others, on arousing energy, on virtuous behavior, on concentration, on wisdom, on liberation, on the knowledge and vision of liberation. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the third thing that leads to its maturation. Getting to hear the Dhamma being spoken of. When we have good spiritual friends, we'll have people who will talk with us about the things that matter most to us. We talk about the things like our efforts to live in as harmless and mindful a way as we can. 
our efforts to train our own minds and thought hearts. Sharing this interest in the Dhamma with others is a tremendous help. In my early years of practice especially, having friends to share my interest and my enthusiasm for the practice is actually part of what we what kept me at it. I can recall thinking a number of times that if I didn't have that friendship, that I might just stop practicing. But because I did, I continued. Spiritual friends also provide a counterbalance to the larger culture's emphasis on pursuing passion for what is sensually pleasant, for ill will, and for the delusion, especially the one of the world should revolve around me. So these are some of the things that spiritual friends can do for us. Then the Buddha told Magia, one has aroused energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and acquiring wholesome qualities. She is strong, firm in exertion, not casting off the duty of cultivating wholesome qualities. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the fourth thing that leads to its maturation. This fourth quality is what, in other places, the Buddha calls right effort. Right effort is abandoning activities of thought, word, and deed that are unskillful, that lead to unsatisfactoriness, stress, struggle, and suffering. Right effort is also developing and supporting activities, actions, of thought, word, and deed that lead to generosity, goodwill, compassion, equanimity, and wisdom. In other words, to freedom from stress, struggle, and suffering. Being around others engaged in this discipline of training the mind and heart is a great support, especially when compared to being around people who aren't engaged in right effort, which is a lot of people. Then the Buddha described the fifth of the qualities that lead to spiritual maturity. One is wise. He possesses the wisdom that discerns arising and passing away, which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the fifth thing 
that leads to its maturation. This fifth quality is, of course, seeing the impermanence of all the things that we normally get entangled with. Seeing the impermanence of all the things that we think will bring us happiness and long-term benefit, but don't. When one truly begins to see the arising and passing of our sense experience, our thoughts, our desires and hatreds, the things we identify with, then we also see their emptiness, what is called their not-self nature. In that very direct experiential seeing of arising and of passing, in that moment of seeing, there's no holding on. There's freedom, there's peace, there's an open heart. Good friends can inspire us to keep practicing until we see the places where greed and hatred and delusion still entangle us. They can inspire and support us in our practice until we see for ourselves the impermanence of each moment when these unskillful qualities arise in the mind and heart. They can inspire and support us in our practice until we have found our own capacity to meet the ups and downs of life with equanimity. To summarize what the Buddha says next, when one has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will develop and experience virtue. Hear talk on the Dhamma. Abandon the unwholesome. Cultivate the wholesome. And clearly see the arising and passing of phenomena. The Buddha didn't stop there. He didn't stop after five. He said, one who is established in these five things should also cultivate four additional things. (laughs) There's always these lists, aren't there? (laughs) These are the four things. The not beautiful should be cultivated for overcoming lust. In some translations, the expression is foulness should be cultivated. Or we should see the unpleasant quality of things rather than getting all caught up in the pleasantness of what we're perceiving. Goodwill 
should be cultivated for overcoming hatred. Talking about metta here. So sometimes translated as goodwill, sometimes loving kindness, sometimes benevolence. Mindfulness of breathing should be cultivated for cutting off discursive thinking. So this is about developing concentration. Just helping the mind to settle down. The perception of impermanence should be cultivated for the removal of the conceit, I am. Noticing how the different aspects of this mind and body experience arise and pass away. Where is I am in all this arising and passing? For the Buddha goes on, for one who perceives impermanence, Magia, the perception of not self is established. When one perceives not self, one reaches the removal of the conceit, I am, which is called Nibbana, here and now. So all of this is built on the foundation of associating with good spiritual companions. Having a friend who embodies the teachings and the fruits of the path shows us what can be done. Good spiritual companions show us that this practice and this path is possible even with all of the challenges of being present for whatever arrives into our lives at any particular moment. Good spiritual companions can show us that the goal of awakening to freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion is possible. This path of awakening has been kept open for over 2,500 years by this thread of friendship running from person to person to person. You are part of that thread as well.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.